Earth 1? Earth 2? Earth 3? I'm so confused. I think we're going to have to... Talk about comics? Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome to um, our new installment of Chris's on Infinite Earths, where we're going to be talking about Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm-hmm. So we are season two, episode one. Oh, those are seasons? Yeah. It's okay. It's going to be a season. I mean... That I mean, unless we want to get in the high numbers, but as we've learned from crossovers, it's okay if we don't get to the high numbers. Yes, we're not in the 70s and 80s trying to sell comics in the 300s. Mm-hmm. We should have just started our, our podcast on issue 300-something. <laughs> <laughs> Hindsight. Oh, wow. Thank you to everybody who listened to our Secret Wars podcast. You can go back and listen to that, but that's not really necessary to start on this episode. So mm-hmm. if you want to just start here, totally fine spot. Yeah, this is definitely a good uh, jumping in point. So um, Crisis on Infinite Earths, unlike Secret Wars, is the distinguished competition of DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Came out around a very similar time frame. So close. So close. And yeah, definitely direct competition, but... They feel, even to me with just the first issue, they feel very different. Oh, no, Chrissy, it's the distinguished competition. That's what Marvel people call DC because it's distinguished competition. Oh, I didn't know that. That's a fun bit of trivia. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's definitely kind of a different story. It has sort of those cosmic stakes that you have in Secret Wars, but it's I still feel like it's more all-encompassing than Secret Wars and where Secret Wars was kind of a microcosm of cosmic stakes. See, Chris speaks from a place of this is this is not his first read of Crisis on Infinite Earths. No, I but, read this. Yeah, I read it uh, probably about 10 years ago. But this is my first read. So this is just my first impressions readers as the, the first time we go through it. So I don't know what's coming, but I'm excited to find out even just after this first issue. Yeah. So you want to dive right in? Yeah, let's head right into summary. Our tale begins with a brief explanation of the creation of the multiverse before we see Earth being consumed by nothingness as a mysterious pink-haired figure narrates the death of the universe. He, too, pleads to be consumed, but it appears to be his duty to see all Earths destroyed. We next head to Earth 3, home of the crime syndicate, who also fights to protect their world. The planet's only superhero, Luther, however, knows the universe's end is nigh and sends his only son into the void between universes, hopefully to someplace safe. Also, the pink-haired figure is present again, calling himself Pariah. Meanwhile, in Earth-1, the main universe, a being called the Monitor converses with his companion Lila and tells her to recruit a team of heroes and villains with attitude to save the multiverse. Lila transforms into the mega-80s Harbinger and begins to gather super people from all over time and space using doppelgangers of herself. Amongst this motley crew is King of Gorilla City, Solivar, the Legion of Superheroes member Dawnstar, the World War II-era heroine Firebrand, and the crime buster known as Blue Beetle. She travels to the far past to locate the sword and sorcery-style hero, Arion, 
but one of the doppelgangers seems to be ambushed by a shadowy figure. Another duplicate finds the emotion-manipulating villain Psycho Pirate, who she uses to help recruit Killer Frost, an enemy of the hero Firestorm. We then flash to the Monitor satellite, where the bewildered heroes and villains get acquainted. Harbinger merges all of her duplicates together, and we see the payoff of the shadow creature attack. Apparently, it used her duplicate as a piggyback to get into the base, and a whole mess of shadow beings attack the heroes and villains. They attempt to fight back, but seem to have little effect. However, the shadow beings are dispersed with the arrival of the Monitor, who starts his introduction by telling everyone they're all going to die. All right, so Crisis, first issue. You want to start with the cover? Sure. The cover is um, a bunch of people freaking out in space. Yeah, a ton of them. And as my first read through, I recognized very few of them. Yeah, even me right off the bat. I couldn't have gotten all of these um, if I hadn't. Well, even like having read Crisis on Infinite Earths 10 years ago or so, there's a lot of these heroes I forgot because mm-hmm. they're not necessarily present in current um, DC. So not only are there all these all these super uh, heroes and some villains in space, we see this string of Earths seeming to stretch into infinity behind them. And they're starting to kind of blow up one by one. They're getting vaporized by these little pink rays. Mm-hmm. So definitely looks like Worlds in crisis. Uh, a lot of them. A lot of them. A lot of worlds. Mm-hmm. Like like more than three. Mm-hmm. Then we get this interesting page of this unknown dude. Now, in yours, does it look like he has pink hair? Because in the summary, you said pink hair, but it looks gray in mine. Okay. In mine, he definitely looks kind of pink. That's, that's purple. Okay. He has purple hair. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> just assume I was wrong in the summary. <laughs> Um, but his hair is, is interesting. Uh, and he's also, he, he's of course has, oh, it, it's still a little bit of purple and pink in that one. Okay. A little bit. He has lavender hair. Okay. It looks more gray in my digital version, but Chris has, Chris has the print in front of him. And I feel like the print is probably more authentic than uh, my digital The back version. of my print copy says painstakingly restored and meticulously recolored. Oh, recolored. Oh, uh, oh maybe mine is. Maybe. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we, we, we see kind of like a background image of his face looking startled, and then we see this guy just walking, looking really determined, and you have no idea who this guy is. This is his first introduction and he's just got a big old green cape on and some i don't know some interesting looking outfit there with the tall boots and the kind of fluffy armed shirt i'm not into his look uh it looks kind of like shakespeare meets superhero shakes hero yeah hero spear (laughs) um and then we get the uh in the beginning dc god created the universe sort of deal (laughs) Yeah, and the the universe consisted of multiverses. Right. So it just kind of explains that the DC universe is lots of different universes. It's a Mm -hmm. multiverse. So I remember once upon a time, Chris explaining to me the concept of multiverses and that on all of these different Earths, everything was a little bit different. And there were all these different sets of heroes and villains and all of these continuities and all of these stories that existed in this DC multiverse and Mm -hmm. i was like 
gosh. So I guess I should read Marvel like that. Right. And Mar- like, yeah, not like Marvel doesn't have a million universes, too. That, I mean, it just, it was just a very overwhelming. Yeah. I was like, m- moment for me. Right. I was like, well, first we got to talk about the difference between the silver and the golden ages of comics and why they had to have two different universes in the first place. Yeah. I don't know if we need to go into that here. No. It would but- take a long time. But uh, so so we have this multiverse. So with all these different versions of of Earth that were being shown, presumably different versions of other places as well. Yeah, but it's mostly they they mostly use the concept of the multiverse, I think, to just be like, here's what Earth is like here. Here's what Earth is like here, because that's how it relates the most to mm-hmm. us and the superheroes that we already know. So, and this this sense. page does seem to imply that though there are many Earths, there was really meant to only be one. And this is kind of like a an error in creation. Yeah, that they may, that may come back later. I kind of can't remember. Um, and then there, this is the planet Earth. Oh, it's being blown up. Yep. But all of these. So this is a common motif. These Earths seem to be literally consumed by like a white light, like nothingness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um. They they think they call it antimatter. Yes. Just this wave of antimatter just disappearing whatever it comes into contact with right and our our lavender haired friend um speaks very ominously about how okay it does look a little bit lavender here okay that's good (laughs) he just is kind of narrating what's happening as all these people are terrified and running off and being consumed by this nothingness and he he kind of begs to be consumed but it -hmm. seems like every time a universe gets consumed he just Blinks out of existence and shows mm-hmm. up in a new universe. So where we see him here, this is not the first time he's witnessed an Earth being destroyed. No, it seems like this is definitely this is definitely not his first rodeo, as it mm-hmm. were. But still, like he reaches out trying to save a people from being consumed from the antimatter. He's still trying to save everybody, even though he knows the outcome. Right. So he is. He's kind of probably kind of a bummer. We'll just say that. Definitely not your comic relief character of the Crisis on Infinite Earth. He's just always talking about how awful things are and how they're all going to die and how. I mean, he if alone I just witnessed witness like a hundred Earths being destroyed and everybody in them, I feel like I'd be kind of a Debbie Downer too. You kind of wonder when it becomes like Groundhog Day, though, and you just kind of stop taking it seriously. I guess that's true. I mean, here's also a thing: this is Crisis on Infinite Earths. Wouldn't mm-hmm. this never stop? I mean. Presumably. I mean, if, if they really, truly are infinite. I don't think they are, though, because they act like it's a really big deal that it's happening. Right, right. I mean, it's, a, it's only a big deal when we get to the, the low numbers, it seems like. Yeah, Earth, Earth's <laughs> 10 and under. <laughs> well, speaking of Earth's on low numbers, um, after the Harbinger, not Harbinger, I'm sorry, Pariah. Mm-hmm. Dis- well, okay, he doesn't call himself Pariah yet. This guy will be known as the Pariah because that's kind of what he is. We go to Earth. Three, which is an Earth where all of the Justice League members are evil. They're called the Crime Syndicate. Mm-hmm. So just think about your... It, this is like your fairly standard Justice League members, like Superman, Green Lantern, Wonder but Woman. But those aren't their names. No, they have different names, but they're they're pretty effectively evil analogs of them. Yeah, Ultraman and Power Ring. Power Ring? What? <laughs> and then I think she's Superwoman. Um, yep, Superwoman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, close analogs. And, uh, our one superhero 
on the entire planet. Well, we haven't gotten there yet. But that to me was kind of a surprise. I I'd kind of heard about Earth 3 and knew things about Earth 3, like, but I I never actually read anything that took place on Earth 3. So it to me was kind of like, a, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, a lot of these, in comics, a lot of times when they make a different universe, it's just like, it's kind of like a someone's in an elevator and they say, what if blank? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it seems like. Right. So these supervillains, even though they're evil, are trying to sort of stop the disaster that's happening. And it's causing like a bunch of natural disasters, too, like volcanoes are coming out of nowhere mm-hmm. and tidal waves and stuff. Yeah. So they're they're working. I don't know. They, they're working to save everybody, even though they're not the quote unquote good guys. Right. Um. Then we see a. Uh, Johnny Quick. That's 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 legitimately very good. <laughs> and Owlman. Johnny Quick is the Flash analog, yes. and Owlman's the Batman analog. Yeah, except, gosh, the owl, like, hood hat thing is just, yeah, it's a little much. It never struck me as evil. No. It just looks kind of goofy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So all that's going on, but then we see the one hero on Earth 3. Which is Alexander Luther. Yeah, it's literally like Lex Luthor's the only good guy. And he kind of has like, I don't want to say an Iron Man suit, but it seems like his powers are suit based because he's wearing kind of a neat suit. Yeah, and he's got, it almost looks like a football helmet on. Yeah, maybe they're not. Maybe he does have superpowers. I didn't do enough Luther Earth 3 research. Well, for reasons that will become apparent, it doesn't seem like it's going to be super important to Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, no, he basically, after sees, seeing the antimatter consuming death of Superwoman, flies back to his home where his wife Lois Lane. Yeah. Yeah. That was like a big moment for me. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. What? Yeah. At first, my first read through, I was like, wait, is Lois bad in this? Because it still hadn't clicked in me. Oh, crime syndicate. They're not the. They're not the good guys. Right. Because I'm just... Lois Lane can't date Ultraman. He's bad. He doesn't wear the underpants on the outside of his pants. (laughs) Well, neither does uh, Luther. No, that's true. This universe is is underpants strictly on the inside of your pants. I can get behind that. (laughs) So he goes back and Lois has their baby who is also named Lex. Mm-hmm. Just a a cute cute little guy. Mm -hmm. It's all swaddled up. So definitely... Definitely infant age here. Yeah, you know. And now we're going to get a real, and DC likes doing this too, a real sort of analog to something they've already done. Mm-hmm. Which, while the crime syndicate is trying to still fight off the antimatter, Luther sends his infant son on a last ditch effort to rescue him from a dying universe. Mm-hmm. He, he puts him in a little pod to send him to safety. Right. And then hopefully that someone, that wherever he goes, some some nice people will treat him with love. Well, I mean, Lex did say that he knew where the superheroes on other, like, because he knows about the multiverse. Like, mm-hmm. he he knows where this is going to go. So he's transporting his son someplace where he knows the heroes hang on another uh, Earth. Yeah. And Pariah's kind of there, too, to be Pariah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, so we have this uh, whole page that kind of flashes in between what's going on. We see 
Johnny Quick and Owlman getting antimattered, and it's coming up on Ultraman and Power Ring, and then we see back to this little pod, and like the pariah is just sort of witnessing all of this destruction. Power Ring and Ultraman, I see pariah and pariah's like i i'm called pariah and he knows that this world is gonna die and they're like well is it your fault and he's like no i i just i just see it happen pariah's Pariah's just chilling he's just a chiller (laughs) yeah and with that with that word from pariah ultraman then heads off ultraman kind of has a cool line here as the antimatter consumes them Power Ring says, Ultraman, wait, what are you doing? And he says, what I have done all my life. I fight to the very end and flies into the antimatter. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, even though he's a bad guy, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To go straight into the antimatter. Yeah, as, as you do. So we go to a satellite, which is the Justice League satellite. However, the Justice League satellite uh, is all beat up. It looks like it's been abandoned. And that just so happens to be where little Luther's pod lands. Yeah. So we've got a little infant baby asleep in this pod and this abandoned satellite in outer rotating er- around Earth-1. Right. But that's not really important for the rest of the issue. Now we're going to a cooler satellite. <laughs> which is the satellite home of uh, the Monitor. Yeah. Who we don't really quite uh, see. No. But we uh, we see his his good pal Lila. Yeah, like his ward or something. Yeah. Um, basically, he, he he's raised her, and it almost sounds like it's a little bit creepy. But they're pl- I like I love her like a daughter is what it comes to. Right, but she says something like, "Hey, we're equals now. You can't treat me like a slave." Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so there is that. Oh, and also the monitor is going to go off and go get that baby. Mm-hmm. But he gives some instructions to Lila. Right. To energize. this, And now she has her magical girl transformation mm-hmm. where she turns into Harbinger um, by reaching deep within herself and just powering up, I guess, and, and is able to shoot into multiple versions of herself, like lots of little duplicates. Well, well yeah. Um, yeah, so... As Harbinger, I, does she by default divide into many, or is this just like like a two for one here, where she's becoming Harbinger but also splitting herself? That to me wasn't very clear. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I mean, I guess it'll be further defined because she later all of her parts come back into one. But she still seems to be Harbinger. Yeah. 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 I don't think like she's only Harbinger whenever she's lots of people. Mm-hmm. Right. However, those lots of people. Um, we kind of get a bunch of montages about where these various Harbinger duplicates go. Mm-hmm. We, we see them going to, on like these monitors to all of these different Earths. Right. So we get little snippets of places that she's gone. Not all of them. Right. But. And she's, the, the whole deal is she's gathering all these people for some sort of mission. Mm-hmm. So she first goes to Gorilla City, in which I assume is Earth 1. We can assume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Usually in this, if it doesn't specify, it's probably Earth One. Mm-hmm. And we see uh, King Solivar. Yeah. Passing judgment on a gorilla that's apparently committed murder. Yes, he's been sentenced to conversion. Which I'm like, what? Sounds is creepy. That? I think it literally just means like 
criminal rehabilitation. Yeah, it's, I mean... He's but who like, knows? It's comics. Maybe they're going to mess with his brain. He's like, are they going to make him into a non-sentient gorilla? But then they, he talks about how merciful they are and how much more understanding they are than humans. So I was like, well, probably not. It's probably not that sinister. Maybe? I don't know. Right. And then he returns to his private chambers and is super startled by Harbinger just popping out of a wall. Right, because apparently the only human who knows the gorillas exist is the Flash. Mm-hmm. But the Monitor knows all things, and so... Yeah. Solovart attempts to, like, reach out and, like, grab her or, like, confront her, and his hand just goes straight through her. Right, and his guards try to shoot lasers at her, but they just kind of bounce off, and then she disappears with the king. Yep. Man, how do you explain that to your boss? Well, that was their boss. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So... Then we flash to, um, maybe, I'm not sure, it's 30th century Metropolis. Yes, so this is Earth 1 in the future. Okay. This is, um, this is the time of the Legion of Superheroes. Okay, so, yes, so not only is she going to multiple Earths, but she's going to Earths at different times. Yes. She goes to the past as well. Yes. In a bit. At different times. Yeah. That doesn't like preclude the past christy she goes to the past which is a different time <laughs> uh, and we see dawn star who i i wanted to kind of look up because she looked like she had a little bit of like native american background and i was like okay yeah, okay I mean, she she very clearly looks native american and you looked her up and it's like oh sweet so there's some fun backstory to i guess her entire her entire race she is from she is a descendant of the Anasazi Indians who were in were uh, who were abducted by aliens. Is that what they do? You didn't tell me it was Anasazi. There's this all this there's all these like like tales about what happened to the Anasazi and they disappeared. When I was mm. in um I was in New Mexico at, at a mesa called Yuraka Mesa. And the Anasazi once lived there, and that was kind of, there was legends they told us. But it's like, they actually probably just, like, went elsewhere and became other They were abducted by aliens and then got superhero powers and wings. Thanks, DC Universe. (laughs) (laughs) So her superpower is, uh, she flies, obviously, because she has two huge wings on her back. Doesn't she have tracking powers, too? And super, like, tracking powers. They give the Native American lady tracking powers? Yeah, Yep, they sure do. I think there are three separate Native American superheroes that I know of between DC and Marvel that have tracking powers. Well, she's got a crazy fringy outfit, too. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, there's 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 a lot of fringe there. So much. There's fringe. a lot of fringe for not very much clothing. Yeah, there might be more fringe coverage than clothing coverage. She's sort of wearing like a one piece with long sleeves, mm-hmm. but it's like a deep V. Yeah. And it's also bright yellow, for those of you guys wanting to picture this. Yeah, you know, when you track people and you want to blend in. (laughs) So bright yellow with tons of fringe hanging off her sleeves, hanging off the bottom of the leotard, hanging off her boots. Yeah. Dawnstar hears someone calling to her, a female voice. And she's, she uses her tracking powers to find this female mm-hmm. voice. And, and guess who it's it a, is? It's a, it's a female voice embodied in a, in a light that she follows to, like, a scuzzy part of the city. Right? There's, like, a little frog guy behind her and, like, some, some blob people. 
Man, 30th century Metropolis is a heck of a place. And sure enough, it is Harbinger who just kind of grabs hold of her and poof! Yep, disappears. Um, so now we are in 1942 on Earth 2, which Earth 2 is the golden age DC universe. So the, when the when DC was producing comics in the 40s, um, all of those heroes are part of Earth 2, and they're a little bit older than the Earth 1 heroes. So for example, Earth 2 Superman is older than Earth 1 Superman, and is not featured as much like the Superman that we currently know is earth one Superman. Mm-hmm. And it looks to be at some sort of a party, but then we see the ladies back in the kitchen. Yeah. How will they ever get this cake ready in time? <laughs> and, uh, so we've got Danette there. Yeah. Danette. That's, that's quite a name. Mm-hmm. And she'll start that. She'll start that, uh, that oven. Yeah. Uh, so we see her, her hand, catch on fire and she has this thought of oh what if what if the the other ladies knew that i was firebrand and not just a socialite society gal yeah it's so funny that she's she's apparently a rich (laughs) a rich society girl who is also a superhero but then just kind of out of nowhere harbinger shows up and says hey firebrand we need you to come with come with me and and she's like, whoa, 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 my secret identity. And then realizes that everybody around them is frozen. Yeah. and then Not Har- like frozen, like cold frozen. They're just like still in place. Like she t- stopped time. Yeah. It's a freeze ray, not an ice beam. That's all Johnny Snow. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Harbinger puts her outfit on her. Uh-huh. And it- her outfit's real interesting. It kind of looks like. A pink, like, button-up blouse-type top, Mm -hmm. but then she's got, like, a red corset leotard thing and pants. It's, it's, uh, it it has a lot of coverage for for lady superhero costumes. She is, yes, this is the most covered I've ever seen a female superhero. Yeah, she also has a kind of a fun red domino mask. Yeah. And uh, Firebrand says that she trusts Harbinger and will go with her, so they they poof off into the night. Mm Mm-hmm. And if, if... Her name didn't make it clear there. Firebrand has fire powers. Yeah. I mean, also she started that stove. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe, hold on. She also flies. Oh, sure. Yeah. And projects plasma blasts. Well, well, human torchy. Mm-hmm. She's a, she's a volcano scientist. Mm-hmm. Got her powers in a volcano accident. No, she's not just a rich society girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. and she took over. She does it all. She took over the 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 identity of Firebrand from her brother after he was injured in Pearl Harbor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so fun little Firebrand backstory. How about that? How about that? <laughs> Christy's pretty good with the superhero backstories. I just like to know them. They make them more real to me, and they help me remember who all of these new people are yeah, that I never knew anything about before. Like we get introduced to some in this issue, there will be so many more. I'm going to do my darndest to keep up. I think there's maybe 50 plus characters in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Bring it on. All right. So um, next we go to, I don't know if this is Earth One, because I think that the Charlton Comics heroes aren't from Earth One. Yeah. So speaking of Charlton Comics. So Charlton Comics was a comic book company that DC Comics ate at some point. Mm Mm-hmm. And they decided to bring bre- bring uh, into the DC universe here Blue Blue Beetle. 
And, and I think a few of their other heroes, yeah. too. Nowadays, I think maybe Blue Beetle, The Question. The Question is another one. You know Rorschach from Watchmen? Oh, okay. It's effectively the question. Oh, okay. He's like the the more old, the most ultra right wing version of the question. Although the question was kind of conceived to be somewhat right wing. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we flash it over, and we have like police forces shouting up to the top of a building where it looks like some uh, some no good hooligans and criminals have uh, are holding a, a nice. A nice woman hostage at at gunpoint on the edge of the building and demanding a helicopter and thousands of dollars. Yeah, a hundred thou or maybe two. Mm -hmm. But uh, unfortunately for them, the Blue Beetle comes down from his uh, Blue Beetle ship. And he's super stoked that they recognize him. Yeah. Which is is kind of fun because he hasn't been seen in comics at this point in a a little bit. Really? This is, I think... I think this is his first appearance since they bought the Charlton comics. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. I, I mean, I, I may be misremembering my research because I don't think I wrote that bit down, but I'm fairly certain. Mm-hmm. And his powers are, he doesn't have superpowers. He uses science to create devices. Yeah, he mostly just has his cool ship, which I think has a cool name that I'm trying to look up really quick. Oh, it's just called The Bug. That's fun. Blue Beetle <laughs> ship is just called The Bug. That's great. Yep. That's delightful. So he's kind of a bantery superhero. He kind of does the does the witty quips. He he's he's fun. He's the most humor I think we've gotten so far. Yeah. Um I kind of like Blue Beetle here. I don't know a lot about Blue Beetle, but these these couple of pages um sort of endeared me to him a little bit. Mhm. As I as I think they're probably meant to. Yes. He's got he's got the fun line of my what big guns you boys have. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty great. He's he's just socking it to him too. Mm-hmm. Uh, just punches and kicks, and uh, I know he's supposed to have like some cool tools, but he just seems like he's real good at fighting and punching. Yeah, and then after he beats up all of these super villains or super villains, they're kind of just normal villains. They're just kind of crooks. Um, Harbinger. After he beats up those those crooks, Harbinger shows up and says that she needs Blue Beetle, and he's just like, "Yeah, sure, that's fine." <laughs> I wasn't doing anything else. He's like, it's a lousy night for TV anyway. Which is pretty great. And then we see Harbinger going 45,000 years into the past. Except I think it's supposed to be like 4,500 BC, which is not like 45,000 years in the past. Are you sure it's for? It might be 45,000 BC. <laughs> Well, I, I that's what I think it is supposed to be, but it says 45,000 years ago. Well, okay, so that'd be like 43,000 BC. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Which apparently the world is super snowy, um, and she's looking for Orion. And we'll meet Orion in a little bit, but he's kind of a, kind of a sword and sorcery, like... He's not Conan the Barbarian, but I'd consider him like a Conan the Barbarian mm-hmm. kind of contemporary... Yeah, so while she's looking for him, a shadowy something seems to notice her and attack her. And she has this moment of, what? No, not you. But then we just see her continuing to fly and her eyes are black, implying that something has happened to her. Oh, I thought her eyes were just closed. You're right, though. Her eyes are black and I'm just a goofball. (laughs) Um, I was so confused by 
by this because I didn't know that Harbinger had split herself because I was not reading very carefully. Um, I felt very bad about it. So now in Earth 2, in the present... We see what looks like a, a hospital. It's an institution, specifically. Yes. It's specifically, though, like the like straight jacket, like put them in padded rooms sort of institution. Yeah, not great. Right. Where um, Psycho Pirate is. Yeah. And Harbinger comes to Psycho Pirate. Now, this is Roger Hayden, uh, Psycho Pirate. Uh, this is the second Psycho Pirate. Right. And he does not want to help Harbinger. Mm-mm. He doesn't want anything to do with his powers, it seems like. Uh, a reluctant super villain? Yes. Because his power is he has a mask. Well, normally. He doesn't literally currently have it in, mm-hmm. when Harbinger finds him. Yeah. That assists him and he can change people's emotions after he takes the mask off. Mm-hmm. But it hurts him to do so? Well, he's he's an empath. Right. So, And he's also like an emotional vampire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he kind of like feeds on it like he like he wants to continue doing it but it also winds up affecting him quite a bit as well right um he can also apparently create duplicates whoa i don't think he does that much here so yeah but he also seems like somewhat enticed by the mask because harbinger sort of manifests his emotion mask or whatever mm-hmm. his medusa mask he seems kind of shocked and intrigued that it's there and then she just like puts it on his face because it it appears that he's currently in a straight jacket and couldn't do it himself right and then just says all right we have one more person to grab and then our mission begins Mm -hmm. and we go back to forty-five thousand years ago right where uh orion is making an ice bridge he is because the day that Orion can't form a simple bridge of ice, Atlantis may as well tremble in fear. He's the lord of Atlantis. Yes, he is an Atlantean. Uh, he has Atlantean magic is what specifically his super, whatever that means, Atlantean magic. That's what he's got. Right. And it seems like Atlantis is sort of a bastion of the creeping ice that engulfs the rest of the planet. And he sort of keeps it at bay. Mm-hmm. He's also immortal. Yeah, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so Harbinger, of course, comes down to find him, and he tries to get her with his supreme magical abilities. Mm-hmm. But uh, in some moves that are a little bit more evil than her other Harbinger uh, incarnations are, she destroys the bridge that he's standing on and seems kind of joyful to watch him fall, which... She does speed down and save him, but she seemed lo- kind of delighted that he was he was falling to his supposed death. Yeah, she needed to grab him, but she kind of did it in like the roughest way possible. Mm-hmm. So now we're back on Earth One, which is the kind of main universe mm-hmm. where we find Firestorm, and Firestorm's going to require a little explanation. Oh boy, does he? Firestorm is two people. Yes. In one person. Yes. And not in, like, any sort of, like, biblical way. (laughs) Not a Catholic way. (laughs) So, uh, Firestorm, he is made up of Ronnie Ray, Mm -hmm. uh, Ronnie Raymond, and Martin Stein. Right. So, Ronnie Raymond is just your, kind of your average run-of-the-mill teenager, and Martin Stein is, like, a brilliant scientist. I like to think of Firestorm as if... um, Doc Brown and Marty McFly were a superhero combined. Oh, that's a fun analogy there. I 
I don't think Doc Stein is. I mm-hmm. think Doc Stein is a little less goofy, but that's kind of the way yeah. I think about it. So basically, when they first became Firestorm, Martin Stein was more just like a voice of reason and intelligence in Ronnie Raymond's head. Yep. And the kind of kind of uh, what was going on there. Super strong, can fly, can transmute elements and yeah, stuff. Manipulate non-organic materials. Right, but like molecularly, yes. he does it way cooler than Molecule Man does it. Yeah, seems that way. He makes some neat stuff with it. His hair is also fire. Um, he and he has like just like nuke nuclear powers. Oh, you almost said you almost said it. He does have nuclear powers though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas he seems to have already met up with Harbinger because Harbinger has given him a command to go find Killer Frost. Which is kind of interesting because this Killer Frost, who's uh, Crystal Frost, it appears to be based on the artwork. Although when I was doing my research, apparently at this point, this particular Killer Frost, I think, was killed off in the other comics. But you know what? They can be at any point in time. So whatever. Sure. Uh, we've got Crystal Frost here who was in love with Martin Stein in like an unreciprocated fashion. Oh. She she had a she had a thing for him and then got really mad when that was not reciprocated. She was like one of his his students, I believe. Oh boy. Yeah. Um and she starts Firestorm sort of warms she's like frozen in ice like as in like a prison mm-hmm. and Firestorm warms her up to the point where she gets to break out. Uh-huh. Cuz Killer Frost is interesting cuz even though she manipulates cold and ice she needs heat to survive so you would think that like fire powers against killer frost that'd be really good but she actually needs that heat and that warmth to survive she absorbs people's like warmth and energy and that's like what feeds her and powers her well she's mad at firestorm because she's you know a firestorm bad guy and starts shooting ice at him and he's turning it into flowers and wondering where harbinger is (laughs) And Harbinger shows up with Psycho Pirate. And uh, Psycho Pirate with the Medusa mask on looks right at Killer Frost and then removes the mask with a look of love. Right. He says that it normally hurts him, but Harbinger basically is like, no, you're good. You won't feel any pain. But we get more hints that this mask thing is addictive. Yes. He's like, you know, once, once I pop, I just can't stop. It's, yep. it's like Pringles. <laughs> it's, his mask is Pringles. Mm-hmm. Pringles. Are we just going to call Psycho Pirate Pringles for the rest <laughs> of the, the time? I mean, we could. I feel like there is an in-fiction nickname version of a, of a Pringles elsewhere in podcast dumb. Oh, you're right. No, I don't. I don't know if we can hijack that. I mean, I'm sure the crossover of fans would just not stand for it. They would not stand for it. <laughs> All right, so Pringles, I mean, Psycho Pirate, changes Killer Frost from hatred to love, and now she is in love with Firestorm. Yes. Just, like, without reason, just starts smooching on him, and Firestorm's like, gosh, she's cold, and I really don't like kissing her. Right, but she'll follow him anywhere, which I guess was kind of why they needed Psycho Pirate. Mm-hmm. So they all go back to the Monitor's satellite. With Harbinger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we kind of see maybe what we assume is some close-ups of uh, the monitor here, but not really like a, a full shot of him. Um, and he talks about basically the love that he has for her, but he says that his life may be forfeit. 
Apparently, there's something about her destined to be his killer, or he thinks... It see it seems to be implied here, right? But he says that she holds the fate of the cosmos in her hands. Yeah, which seems pretty true. Yeah. So in this, yeah, this just kind of affirms that Lila was like an, as an orphan child raised by the Monitor, who's some kind of alien man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then we get a huge spread here yeah we're inside the satellite now Uh uh-huh and we see all sorts of heroes and not just the ones that we've already seen abducted by harbinger i guess some of them came with them willingly yeah blue beetle was just born (laughs) yeah this is such a fun kind of sequence i think it 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 does better than the first panel or or whatever of secret wars absolutely when we first get introduced to all of the heroes and villains in secret wars it's just like all right let's line you up and see who's here and have a roll call which this page kind of serves the same function the heroes that you wouldn't immediately recognize or we haven't already seen in the story are all named um so they're identified to you in one way or another in a a lot of exponential expositiony dialogue here just so you know who's who so do we want to go through who we've got here yeah so we've got blue beetle uh-huh and we've already talked about right yeah. we've solovar uh-huh and King don Gr- and don star yep and um simon who we have not discussed simon. yet mm-hmm. and now this simon is psi like psionic or psychic psychic. he's a psychic mon Uh uh-huh he he is he has telepathy telekinesis mind control and he's a bad guy yeah yeah definitely super villain here and i believe we kind of get a close-up of him later on he you can like see his brain or his brain is encased in glass yeah he's got like a transparent skull sort of Mm -hmm. sort of like a bulgy transparent skull yeah he's real attractive Sure. <laughs> so then we have Cyborg from the Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cyborg is, as you would guess... He's he, a cyborg teenager. Yeah. He's super strong and fast. He's got cool gadgets. Mm-hmm. He flies. He, his cool, his mm, gadget of note is his sonic cannon, where he yeah. shoots... He shoots stone. white sound. Or, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's it, talking to Geoforce. Uh-huh. Who's also super strong and flies. There's a meme where people don't like Geoforce, and I've never quite figured out why. Oh. Well, he does lava blasts, and he can manipulate Earth, and is also super durable. Maybe he does, like, bad things at some point. I don't... I don't know. Um, readers... If you hate Geoforce, please tell, tell us, us about why. Yeah, we want to know why you hate Geoforce. So then we have Superman. Uh-huh. You know, just normal Superman. Yeah, we really don't no, need it's, to explain. No, it's not, though. It's Earth-2 it's, uh, Earth Superman. Earth two Superman. Oh, okay. Because yeah. they, they did note that he looks slightly older, so I wasn't quite sure here. Yeah. I feel like I hadn't gotten enough to make he's, pass any judgments. He's got here. the temporal grays. Oh, all yes. right. And he's talking to Obsidian? Obsidian. Todd Rice, who is son of a green lantern not the green lantern we see here um but his he's got some cool like shadow powers he can merge his body with his shadow yeah it's pretty neat. um and when he is in his shadow form he has enhanced strength and vital vitality as his shadow he can fly and change size like he can get enormous and like cover the earth he also shows like part of like his way he overcomes his enemies is he shows them their dark side? I don't quite know what that means. This is a bunch. Uh-huh. 
Well, he and Supes are having some sweet chills, and Superman tries to get the attention of Firebrand, who uh-huh. does not seem to notice him. Yeah, and we've already talked about Firebrand, so. Right, and then we have John Stewart Green Lantern. Uh-huh, who is not the father of Obsidian. <laughs> right. Especially, I think Obsidian is from Earth 2? Probably, considering he and Superman are talking. Right. Whereas Jon Stewart's from Earth 1. Yeah. So, yep, different different uh, Green if, Lantern. And also, he is, he's black. So. Yeah, he's the Green Lantern from the, um, the really popular kind of mid-2000s cartoon. Mm-hmm. So he's the Green Lantern that a lot of people sort of grew up with. And hoped for. With the Green Lantern movie and did not get. <laughs> right. Apparently even, so one of the co-creators of Jon Stewart was the uh, like popular superstar artist Neil Adams, you know, who I have original art of hanging hanging out in my basement, our basement. And uh, he was apparently like incensed that Jon Stewart was not the Green Lantern in the movie. Like, he probably has a lot of stake in Jon Stewart since he co-created him. But he also like was like, any child that would go to this movie, the Green Lantern they grew up on was the one from the cartoon. Because by and large, most people who would have seen that movie probably didn't read comics. And if they were kids, they probably saw that cartoon because it was on Cartoon Network. Mm-hmm. I think he had a pretty good point there, I think. Yeah. <sighs> well, you know, it uh, it's success correlated there. Yeah, it was not great. <laughs> and we see uh, Arian again. Already talked about him. Yep. He just kind of talks about swirling miasmas and evil and stuff <laughs> we have dr polaris dr polaris who's basically magneto yeah he he's got magnet powers and he's a uh he's a physician and physicist he's a doof look at his hat he's got a really his hat looks like galactus's hat yep so <laughs> he, he's got a little hat but then he's got i don't know almost like horns sticking out of it but they come out like where your ears he would come has out a little magnet out. symbol on his shirt <laughs> Yep. He's a goofball. Um, so then we have Firestorm and Killer Frost. And... Uh, kind of almost like snuggled up on a balcony together. Right. And he, uh, at one point, Fire Frost, or Fire Frost. <gasps> what? Oh. Uh, Firestorm says, hey, quit nibbling on my ear. Yep. Um, and we don't see Psycho Pirate. No, not yet. However, what we do see is um, someone who's attacking this strange group of heroes. Kind of these shadow beings start popping out of nowhere. Simon sees them, like, senses them right before they get attacked, but they barely have time to mobilize before they're all kind of attacked by these shadows. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because the shadows all look like they have different forms. Like one's flying and looks like it has a cape on, almost like a superhero yeah. or villain. Some of them look like they have, like, gloved hands. Some of them look hairy. Mm-hmm. So they're they're definitely not all the same being in multiple shadows. There are there are lots of different shadows here. Right. The re- it's kind of interesting, and the heroes r- try to do battle with them. Mm-hmm. And they're not very effective. Right. It seems like they can't even touch them for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's like when like water type is trying to attack grass type. It's and... not very effective. Mm-mm. Right. Meanwhile, though, Harbinger is bringing all of her selves together. Mm-hmm. Because if she sustains it too long, it's really dangerous. So we have uh, some narrating here of uh, not knowing that when she awakens, after she's brought all these parts into her, that she will be... Or that one part of herself will have altered the rest, which we pre- presume is 
probably whatever made her eyes go black when she was getting Orion. Right. It was another kind of one of these shadow creatures. And they kind of like, like I said in the summary, or one of us said in the summary, I write the summary, so I'm sorry, <laughs> kind of piggybacked off of her to attack the base, it seems like. Mm-hmm. So they, I mean, we get some shots of nearly all of the heroes attempting to use their powers on um, these shadows, and none of it seems effective. Um, uh, except for, uh, well, effective. Um, Obsidian can turn into his shadow form and then they just pass through him, but he can't right. really do anything he to them. He can't do back. anything to them. He can just kind of be in his shadow form and be safe. Well, he does punch one of them. But it, that's that's kind of it, and every, like everybody else has almost no no effect with them, and they're doing a lot of fun sort of stuff like teaming up. Mm-hmm. We have Doctor Polaris trying to make like take the floor and make it into it and twist it into an inescapable prison. He also calls himself the master of magnetism here. I know. Does he have no respect for intellectual property? I... I mean, I guess you can't really... Can you trademark Master of Magnetism? Because apparently nobody did. Apparently not. <laughs> um, there's kind of a fun scene where they've they've gotten a shadow creature. Killer Frost and Firestorm have gotten a shadow creature and Green Lantern. Killer Frost has it frozen, and then Firestorm wraps it in chains, and then Green Lantern makes like a cylindrical prison around it. Mm-hmm. And this shadow punches through all of them. Mm-hmm. And Killer Frost is like, my love and I don't need you, Lantern. Well, apparently they did, because it didn't keep the shadow there for long. Right. And uh, uh, Firestorm kind of moves Killer Frost out of the way and drops her down on, like, a stack of mattresses. Yeah, sort of Princess in the Pea style. Uh-huh. And she asks him to join her there, just, like, real overt and just kind of uncomfortable, because you know that she's mind-controlled. Yeah, not ideal. And Superman discovers, yeah, we can't, we can't really punch them. That doesn't stop them. Punching them doesn't stop them. We can't solve all our problems with punching soups. So then, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's like a huge, they call it a burning, blinding, coruscating light. Yeah, explodes in the chamber. And then all of the shadows retreat. Mm-hmm. And all, all the heroes are essentially blinded by this light as well. And then we see this silhouette of the Monitor. Who says to not blame Harbinger because they were totally ready to blame Harbinger for all of the mm-hmm. this, these problems with. It's not really her fault, but... Mm. I mean, it's kind of her fault. It, it's, it came about as a result of her, but I, she, she, she wasn't, wasn't like conscious of it. Yeah. Right. And then uh, we get the, the splash page at the end of the full page of the monitor who says and now let me properly introduce myself i am the monitor and i have summoned you here because your universes are about to die and he looks pretty impressive he looks like he's got like a black or blue bodysuit on underneath and then has these different metallic uh like gauntlets clipped on him and kind of some i don't know almost like armor on top and then like a little sort of kilt skirt type thing over it yeah and some interesting patterns like shaved into his hair and some some real mutton chops as well got some real good mutton chops so he he looks pretty impressive oh he also has a a big uh, pink pink cape pink i think we can call it pink 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 Pink. that's how our son says pink yeah he loves it (laughs) yeah our son loves pink and he says pink (laughs) so 
And that's the last page of the issue. Yeah, it ends on a real cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. We got to find out more about why these universes are going to die. So I think we'll have to do more episodes of this podcast. Probably. Yeah. Until then, accolades? Accolades. All right. Best line. Best line is from Blue Beetle. Okay. Uh, when he's fighting all of the um, the crooks, at one point he says, Guess I'll just have to go home and watch PBS. Which I thought was fantastic. The Blue Beetle on like like primetime television would watch PBS. <laughs> I just imagine him really chilling out for some masterpiece theater. <laughs> uh, I enjoy that. Yeah. I, Blue Beetle really delivered some great lines. There was an unexpectedly great line that I enjoyed from Solovar, actually. Okay. Um, where Dawnstar uh, comments that, oh my gosh, you're an ape that talks. And he's like, and you're a human with wings. Reality holds surprises for everyone. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that little bit of unexpected comedy there. It's like, I don't know what to, oh, I don't know what the soul of our guy is going to be like. I don't know. He seemed kind of high and mighty. But yeah. Threw around, some, threw around some good humor there. All right, greatest hero? Uh, this was a tough one because all the heroes kind of don't... None, it's hard for any of them to stand out in this issue. Mm-hmm. So I said Harbinger for getting the band together. Mm-hmm. Mine is actually Luther for saving <gasps> oh, his son. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for saving his sweet baby son. Yeah, because he's the only one that seemed like he really got to do a heroic act that meant anything. Like, yes, Harbinger was rounding up all the heroes, but I feel like that... Whether or not it's heroism hasn't been quite recognized yet. That's true. That's true. Okay. Luther does sound pretty good. How about your coolest moment? Um, my coolest moment, I think, was when we get that bright flash of light and the monitor arrives. Uh, I feel like that's just a really cool entrance and a cool way to resolve that conflict that seemed futile. Uh, it was just a fun moment with that bright flash, flash of light. I was like, okay, that's a pretty good way to make an entrance. Right. That one was pretty cool. My coolest moment was the last stand of the crime syndicate. Oh, yeah, that was pretty dramatic. Yeah, I thought it was kind of a fun, dramatic way to start the issue mm-hmm. with, like, people that you're not invested in, but they look very much like people that you are invested in. Mm-hmm. All of them getting just antimattered. Yep. So who do you have for the Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy? Well, first off... Do we still, even though we're in the DC Universe, get to call it the Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy? Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, my Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy is conflicted about this one. Because there were some definite uh, humorous things about Killer Frost in this issue. But they were also humorous with the knowledge that she is being mind-controlled. Which is a little bit discomforting. But there, I mean, it's... Just real over the top. You're like, okay, would everybody experiencing love act quite this way? Or is this just some killer frost coming out? Right. Yeah, that's tough to tell. Um, my silly villainy is Dr. Polaris because he's a goober. That do- <laughs> he's real full of himself. Dr. Polaris does not like to be kept waiting. I demand <laughs> to see the monitor now. He speaks about himself in third person. He also that's didn't see- He didn't seem to be addressing anybody there. He was just shouting it. <laughs> And he's a dumb helmet. <laughs> yep. Calls himself Dr. Polaris. Come on, man. I mean... He's a he's a goober. Nobody else wanted to talk to him, and they had to get his name out there in the exposition. I've said goober like 15 times about this guy, <laughs> and I don't know what else to call him. 
Yeah, he's he's I I hope he winds up being a lot more fun because silly villains are one of my favorite things. Oh, they're they're great. And I feel like in a lot of comics you really don't get silly villainy, but in the crossover events, I feel like you get more of it. Right. Who do you fight silly villainy these days? Like Gwenpool, Squirrel Girl. Oh, Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl's got a lot of good silly villainy. It's great, great silly everything. That's true. Oh. So before we wax poetic about any uh, any more of our favorite female superheroes, we should probably wrap up this episode. Next week we'll do either issue issue two or issues two and three. It we'll, we'll see how we'll see how long it goes. We got some really long episodes in there with our Secret Wars arc, so we want we want to keep it like manageable chunks and sustainable for you to listen to. Yeah, there's a, a a podcast that I've started listening to called Battle of the Atom, where they're ranking all of the X-Men stories. It's very good. It's run by the uh, gentleman who runs the Xavier Files blog, and it's pretty good. And it's like 30 minutes, and it's like, it's it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think so it's a good length. We, we, we may be trying to bring you episodes that are not over an hour. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, we'll try our best. <laughs> um, so maybe we will just do issue two. So next time we'll be bringing you issue two, unless we can't find anything to talk about with issue two, which I doubt it because we always have things to talk about. Right. Um, Thank you to everybody who leaves um, ratings and reviews and likes us on Facebook, Mm -hmm. Um, follows us on Twitter. You can follow us on at Chris's pod. Mm-hmm. On Facebook or Twitter. Yep. Thank you. To, yeah. Thank you to everybody who's a listener. We really appreciate the uh, the small but mighty listener base that we have. Mm-hmm. Knowing that there's folks that look forward to the episodes and want to know when they're coming out, that means a lot and uh, gives us gives us another reason to actually record and edit this as opposed to us just talking about comics on our own. Yep. <laughs> so, until next time. Slay your enemies, and all you desire shall be yours.